When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We shall be talking about the, in the end, I think, comfortable win over Leicester and some of the outstanding performers from that game as well as the ongoing situation with the ownership of football clubs. We may well be laughing at Chelsea later in the show. To do that, we have two tip-top Martin Erdegaard-level guests. It's Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Uh, morning, guys. Morning, Ian. That's a lovely compliment, given his performance yesterday. Well, I, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for your broadcasting uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounded massively patronised. It really did. It really did. <laughs> Amy, you're doing very well as well. <laughs> well, thank you. I must say that I mean, surely there's only one Erdegaard, so that means one of us has to be somebody else. Uh, it wants to be Xhaka. <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll buy that bullet. No, no, no. Let's not go down that road. Um, now, Amy, uh, we spoke after the game. Uh, you bumped into Robert Perez and Freddie Jumberg yesterday. Uh, we were wondering which ex-player you've run into unexpectedly, as we did both agree it's not that unexpected to run into ex-players in the press box at Arsenal on game day but we like the idea of it so who have you run into uh, unexpectedly I've got to say actually just before we went on air James said uh, he had a story and what was the phrase you used James by the way it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a banger uh, no, it wasn't not a that. blockbuster it's not a yeah. blockbuster so why don't we start with you and work our way up to Amy Okay. Well, actually, it's sort of a best of three, really. I've been since I said that. I mean, what I was going to tell you is that I met Luis Boamorte at a bus stop. (laughs) Oh, that's quality. I can't do that. That's great. That's so mundane. Yeah, I know. Did you chat? Yeah, I I think I said, "Oh, hello. Are you Luis Boamorte?" And he said, "Yes." Um, I, I mean, it was quite. I think he'd left Arsenal, but he was still playing. I think he was at Fulham. And it was on the, it was on Upper Street, actually, um, hopping on a bus. But he was very <laughs> sweet, lovely guy. Good. Um, I mean, that is that is the end of that story. <laughs> I also saw, uh, public transport terms, Matteo Ganduzzi getting off a train in Boreham Wood. And he sort of was running through the barriers. And it was quite early in his time at Arsenal. And I mean, I don't want to cast any aspersions, but I very much got the impression he might be late for training. Um, probably had a car waiting for him. Well, we know where that leads, don't we? Yeah, well, exactly. Where is he now? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's all your question. And then uh, my 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 final one, which is probably uh, maybe the least interesting. So I've built it up. I've sort of, you know, <laughs> there's been a progression. Um, is that I saw Gilberto through the window of a restaurant in the West End. <laughs> and I was so transfixed that I just sort of stopped and stared through the window, being like, is that Gilberto? And after a, a, about 30 seconds, he obviously realised there's a man staring at me through the window and sort of looked at me. 
And in my panic, I just sort of waved <laughs> and then moved on with my life. Um, but yeah, they're my Arsenal ex-player encounters. Great. I like that. Can I, uh, Amy, I, I might mention mine yet because I know you're going to have loads of these and uh, they're going to be better than both of us. I, I don't. I think Bo Martin at the, at the bus stop is the winner so far. Uh, oh, I would say so. Got. I would say so. I did actually once have a pee next to Neil Warnock, but he's not an ex-player for us, by the way. But uh, that's something else. I am... Um, uh, as far as ex-players um, of Arsenal, I, my son wanted to learn how to play golf and I took him to a golf course and uh, was just in the shop and turned around and Frank McClintock was uh, standing behind me. And uh, I said, hello, Frank. And he said, hello. And um, if, if for the younger uh, listener, he I mean, this is a giant figure in Arsenal history, captain of the double winning team in 1971. When it was harder to win a double, by the way, when teams didn't buy them. Uh, uh, oh, I'll have one this year, shall I? Maybe I'll try a treble or something. So uh, Frank McClintock at the local golf club uh, up in North London. I, I would agree with you, though, Amy. I still think Lewis Bowen Morte at a bus stop is a winner. What have you got, Amy? Well, mine are fairly transport orientated as well. Um, I once opened my front door to go to the game and they're parking up. Uh, I live not too far from uh, from the ground. Was Alex Song? I think he was quite young and quite new, and obviously, sort of, perhaps didn't quite have the clout to get uh, an official car parking space. So he just, you know, found a local spot and stuck it, stuck his car there. And he had several quite small children and his wife with him. And he was getting the buggy out the back of the car and putting it all together, and. Um, I thought I'd better explain to him the realities of, uh, you know, parking tickets and, um, you know, restrictions on match days. So I thought I'd better do the decent thing. And I gave him a uh, visitor's voucher so that he Did was you? spared uh, having to uh, <laughs> appeal his, his Linton Council parking ticket that, that would have necessarily come. You saved him 60 quid. I did. Yeah, I did. Nice. I'd like to think that there was some sort of karma somewhere, but I'm not sure I quite got the the other bit back but anyway you know it was a nice thing to do um i also bumped into uh ebue and colo torre and it was very nice to see colo on the touchline for leicester yesterday and hear a few uh, of the fans serenade him but yeah I, I i'd been to see uh the ivory coast playing in some sort of pre-world cup warm-up match uh in geneva uh against i don't know a south american team or something i can't even remember and the following morning, went to catch my EasyJet home, and there on the EasyJet, in the seats in front of me were were Colo and and um, and uh, Emmanuel Eboué, and they literally got on the plane. I've never seen anyone fall asleep so quickly on a plane. I was quite impressed, but there was a, a slight complication in that we were supposed to be going back to Luton, where there was a car waiting to whisk them off to the training ground, which is not far. And then there was an announcement saying that the plane was being diverted to Stansted. So I spent quite a lot of time trying to explain in my um, O-level French to them what the hell was going on. They were slightly perplexed, made sure they got uh, they weren't abandoned at Stansted Airport in Essex, not knowing what the hell was going on. No, no. Trying to explain to two people from the Ivory Coast what Essex is like as well would be quite interesting, I think. Here they come again. It's Lacazette. A brilliant penalty, right out of the top drawer and into the top corner. Arsenal to Leicester nil yesterday in a in a very happy 
uh, Emirates Stadium. Amy, you wrote a piece about um, Martin Odegaard, 30 million quid. Uh, and part of the thing you wrote about was happiness, his happiness, the, the happiness of them playing the team. I know Mikel Arteta has been talking about that. There's no doubt the crowd at the Emirates are happy as well. It's a very happy feeling at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, don't play Liverpool on Wednesday night there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Enjoy it while we can, guys. Uh, hey, um, if you're listening after Wednesday, it might be different now, okay? But. <laughs> now, I, I think it was really, it just felt noticeable um, watching the body language and sort of facial expressions and, and stuff of the players on the pitch. And I think particularly Erdegaard and, and Thomas Partey, um, they seem to have found a new gear in recent weeks. Uh I think, you know, neither of them, uh, they're not exactly uh, brand new to the club, but it has taken a while for them to to find that click that makes everything feel right. But it looks to me like they're both in that zone. And I think that's been a really significant part of the uplift in Arsenal's performances lately. And when you look at the the numbers, um, we have to include Granite Xhaka in this, it, you know, it's pretty clear that, Arteta's first choice midfield is those three. And um, they played to, together once at this, uh, between the start of the season and December. So that tells you quite a lot. And then they've now started 10 out of the last 11 Premier League games. And it feels like, I, I think it's one of those fundamentals of football that if you don't get midfield right, you're always vulnerable. And... It, it might not be perfect, this midfield. There might still be some tweaks and, and things to attend to. But it's pro- it's definitely the best that Arsenal can pl- can field at the moment. And they all look quite comfortable in their own skin. They're all playing with that slight relaxation, relaxation and absence of pressure that is needed to express yourself, to feel confident. Uh, and they do just look like happy people. And you, you only have to look back to that interview not too long ago when Partey gives himself a four out of 10, you know, and, and it's it's evident that he was inhibited and f- sort of self-conscious and, and worried about his own performance. Odegaard had some time, some spells at, uh, out the team earlier this season when he when he wasn't playing. He His form was slightly more fitful, maybe a little bit more conservative, a bit more erratic, but he's just hit that zone where football looks easy and um, that's helping the team. And you can sense that the crowd have like, have found a new level of admiration for him, I think, in recent weeks and hope. And he's he's thriving from that. Yeah, it's lovely to watch, isn't it, really? And I, I, I mean, there were various comments about comparing him to various players. That he created six chances for Arsenal in this game. Five in the first half, the most chances creating in the created in the first half of a Premier League game by an Arsenal player since one Mesut Özil uh, against Everton in October 2017. Um, James, yeah, people were comparing him to Mesut Özil. There was uh, a comment on Amy's piece in the Athletic. Uh, he's developing into Bergkamp too. There were various people he was being compared to. I, I'm not so. I, I mean, he's got qualities of both of those players, but I don't. It doesn't remind me of, me of either of them particularly. He He's more dynamic, I think, than Mesut Ozil, don't you think? Well, funnily enough, he does kind of remind me of Mesut Ozil, but it would be Mesut Ozil at a younger age, you know, yeah. when he was playing for Werder Bremen, when he first broke into that German side. 
And he did have a kind of physical intensity that went alongside the creativity and that's what Odegaard's bringing at the moment. I just I, thought he was sensational. He yesterday. leads the press, doesn't he, really, as well, quite often. He's often the first player to go chasing. He covered more ground than any other Arsenal player against Leicester and I think had more intense sprints than any other Arsenal player and I don't think that's unusual. Um, he was brilliant. He looks to me like someone who's in, entered like a, a flow state, you know, where everything he tries is coming off. All the pictures are there in his head. He looks entirely comfortable, in tune with his teammates. And there was he gave an interview to Norwegian television after the game where, you know, they asked him about kind of the atmosphere and the collective spirit at Arsenal. He said he's experienced nothing like it. And I feel that Arsenal are very fortunate to have him. I mean, this is a guy who was always a, a prodigiously gifted talent, but who's now realising that. And for him to be doing it with us is fantastic. I watched Ian Wright on Match of the Day 2 last night and he was kind of saying... You know, the number 10 is back, uh, the creative midfielder is back. And I, I know what he means because I think with everything panning out the way it did with Urzawit in the final couple of years, we wondered if there was room for these kind of creative spirits in the modern game. Obviously, you look at great teams like Manchester City and you realise that is the case. And Odegaard is of that calibre where, yes, he has some of that kind of throwback creativity that will lead to comparisons with the likes of Burkamp, but he marries that with the physical intensity, the work rate, the tactical discipline. And I think Amy's absolutely right to point out how important it is having Partey and Shaka and Odegaard all together. I mean, there were times in the game yesterday where Partey and Odegaard looked like it was a training session doing keep ball, you know, knocking the ball around the corner to each other, shifting the Leicester midfield about. You could really see that these were two guys whose football education came in part in Spain, doing those rondos time after time after time. It was immaculate stuff, really. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a magnificent performance from him. And, uh, Amy, as James said, when Odegaard in that interview talked about he hasn't felt anything like this, that happiness that you talked about, it is transmitting to the stands, isn't it? Because I, it's not that I was super confident yesterday. Leicester are a good team. And for 20 minutes in that first half, I thought they were the better team. And, and Ramsdale had to make a great save. And Ben White made a fantastic tackle. Which, by the way, if you only saw match of the day, you wouldn't have seen because they didn't use that as part of the highlights. But in the main, there's a there's a good feeling. Uh, and that and I guess that's coming both ways from the crowd to the players and back the other way. Well, it's quite interesting that if we were having this kind of conversation a year or so ago, we would have been talking predominantly about the homegrown youngsters who have come in and created that bond and that feel-good factor, Saka Smithrow and so on. And yet now you look at the influence of Ramsdale, of Erdegaard, it's it's spreading you know uh, uh, it, you know it's there's something about i mean every uh, manager that you have ever spoken to in the you know the decades gone by will always tell you that when they're scouting players and they're looking for players there's obviously the technical qualities that you know the first thing that draw you in but uh, you know every manager will tell you that they they ha they do their homework on a player's character and it is a part of uh, the process now it's more difficult in a way um, sometimes with that kind of situation because you know, life's got quite complicated and you can't demand for people to be, you know, phenomenal professionals all the time. And sometimes the most gifted players come with baggage. We all know that. But it's really obvious that Mikel Arteta, as part of his requirements for any player who comes in, is very, very interested in their character. He only wants a sort of certain type of person around the place. 
And there is a kind of, it's, they've almost reached the point now where there's a uniformity, I think, within the group. And that's why Martin Odegaard turns around and says, I've never quite experienced anything like this before. I don't think there are factions or cliques or egos, no. or, you know, in the way that you quite commonly find to a level most places. That's not to say it won't happen in future because it's like a nirvana. It's not going to happen forever, but it's like a perfect storm. You've got a young team of aspirational people who have something to prove, who are hungry to do well, who like um, the ideas that the manager is encouraging them to to do and the way that he's encouraging them to be. It feels like the club's on the up. The fans are hungry to feel good after quite a few years of things being a bit depressing and demoralising. And it's just, I think it feels like everyone's buying into this feeling that something's happening around here. But, you know, there's still 12 games to go. Everybody knows that nothing is remotely certain. And it really, has, you know, the assessment will be at the end of, of this year. But they're certainly giving it everything they can in the best way possible to enjoy something successful out of this season. Yeah. And that point that Amy made, James, about, you know, at the last season we were talking about the young players or last year, let's say, we were talking about the young players and then this year it's a bit more about Odegaard and Partey and Xhaka, as Amy says, and it's being spread around the team. And that was sort of part of what you wrote about when you wrote about Kieran Tierney as well because of the chance creation and how much was going through him. And now it's a bit less, but it's not about a drop-off in his performance. It's about being spread around the team. Yeah, I think... Maybe his performances have been a little bit off what they were last season, but I thought he was excellent against Leicester. Made one really oh, important clearance in his own penalty box, um, which you know went along with a like you said a brilliant one from Ben White in the first half. Uh, I think that Arsenal were very dependent on Tierney last season. I mean, we all remember. I think it was the Spurs away game when we slung in something like thirty-five crosses. I think about twenty-two of them or something like that were from Tierney, uh, and it felt like that was kind of. Plan A a lot of the time. He was pushing up beyond the halfway line, trying to swing balls in, not necessarily to anybody a lot of the time. There's so much more variety to the way we attack now. And I think, uh, you know, much of that is down to Martin Odegaard, Thomas Partey, the fact that we're able to play through central areas. Alex Lacazette as well, who I thought worked really hard. Yes, I was delighted for him to get a goal at long last. And a very good penalty too, actually, because he gave that stuttered run-up and Kasper Schmeichel really didn't give anything away in terms of which way he was going, so he had to put it right in the top corner. Um, But as for Tierney, I think think he's he's an important player in the squad because he kind of bridges a little bit the younger group with the older group. I think he's about 25, so he's sort of in the middle there. And I think that's why one of the reasons that Arteta views him as kind of an important leadership figure because he's able to kind of relate to kind of both ends of the the squad um, in terms of the age spectrum. And I think going forward, we might see a bit more from him when Tommy Asu comes back. I think at the present time, you know, Cedric's playing at right back and... I think he's more comfortable at times in the opponent's half than his own. And I think Arteta slightly rejigged things to account for that. I think when Tommy Asu comes back in, I think he's more of a pure defender. And I think that might give Tierney a bit more license to see, to show the attacking part of his game that we've benefited from in the past. Yeah. And uh, and another great Ramsdale save, Amy, um, against Leicester. They must be sick of the side of him. There's a great bit on match of the day when you see... Um, Brendan Rodgers thinking that they've scored and then turning around going, wow. I wouldn't say it was as wow as the, as the save uh, uh, at Leicester, but 
even still, that confidence, that that desire not to be beaten, that confidence. We've talked a lot about Aaron Ramsdale, and I'm not saying we take him for granted, but that was a top-class save that he made yesterday. And that's at 1-0 when Leicester were dominating the game uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, he's our goalkeeper for the next 10 years, isn't he, really? That would be ideal, yes. Yes, that would be ideal. <laughs> OK, well, OK, we'll move on, because there wasn't much uh, I gave you to say there, uh, particularly. No, no, it wasn't. And oh, one more thing, by the way, about the Liverpool game, because uh, we're recording this on the Monday morning. We've got Liverpool uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Amy, will that be more of a uh, of a pointer as to exactly where we are, do you think? Because they are an- another couple of levels up from Leicester, aren't they? I honestly think we've just got to regard it as a bit of a free hit. Do our, uh, the best possible, um, what's the right word? Uh, just, just really just try and, and get as, uh, make as much of a game as, of it as humanly possible. The expectations are not massive. I think everybody realizes a point would be great. Uh, and it's a lot of it will be, and this is something where I, I think it's, encouraging in terms of the atmosphere within the group is that if it doesn't go particularly well, which it might not, then you hope that it's not going to affect them too badly because there's a a really big match coming up on the weekend, Saturday morning. So there's not a huge amount of recovery time between a game on Wednesday, a tough game on Wednesday night, and then got the early kickoff on on Saturday away to Villa who, you know, have made some pretty impressive strides of their own lately. That's the game really points have to come from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll be back, by the way, Thursday morning. We're doing another podcast with, I believe, uh, Art and Adrian uh, stepping in. We did start, I was going to say moaning, but it wasn't moaning. It was complaining about some of the songs. <laughs> Maybe a little moaning. Uh, uh, complaining about some of the songs uh, that were being used at Watford. Uh, we did have a couple of chants suggested to us after last week. I'm just I'm just reading these, okay? So don't shoot the messenger. Is I suppose what I'm saying. Are you uh, reading Mike, them or are you singing them? Ian? I'm I'm not going to sing them, okay? I'm okay. not because when I did try and sing the uh, uh, the uh, Gabriel, the big G, uh, I got. Oh, I also boom boom. By the way, I, a lot of people suggested that I sounded like a Baldrick from uh, Blackadder, and I think that was fair enough. Actually, it wasn't. There was a little bit of that. Um, uh, Michael Amory said we need one for Tommy Asu, and he's thinking I'm holding out for a hero. You know, Taka hero. We're holding out for a fullback who tucks in on the right. There's a lot. It's, there's a lot of specific. It's a very specific song. He's got to be strong and he's got to be fast and he has got to be first to the fight. I mean, it's all right, but I cannot see an Arsenal crowd singing that, Michael. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I genuinely can't. Adam Goodall, by the way, had. Saka, uh, he did to the tune of Copacabana. Uh, I mean, really, Barry Manilow? For anyone, for anyone under sixty uh, who's not one of my aunts, uh, Barry Manilow is a very popular singer. Back in, I saw him at the Albert Hall actually. Oh, and sat next to Laurie McMenemy. If you want an ex-player story, not that he played for us, <laughs> and in front of Rowan Atkinson, uh, we've got Saka Bukayo Saka. Just give him the ball. He'll attack you. <laughs> I'm not even going to read any more of that, uh, Adam. Um, and there's also one by Chris commenting via the Athletic uh, app to the tune of Magic by Pilot. Oh, ho, ho. He's magic, you know. Arsenal's Emile Smithrow. 
yeah. Anyway, I, that's I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's too bad. It isn't too bad. I probably could do it with a bit more um, <laughs> enthusiasm, <laughs> perhaps. I realised as I was reading them that I might as well sing them. I mean, I have no dignity anyway, so who cares? Uh, uh, but we do need some songs. We also, by the way, um, the lacquer song. He's scoring goals again, James. He's scoring again, so maybe he. It can stay. It can, it can stay, stay a little now. bit. I heard that conversation. You know, we, we had that chat last week about are the lyrics right for that song. I heard that um, exact chat play out in the North Bank a couple of rows behind me <laughs> after a, a hearty rendition of that song. There's a really interesting relationship though between Lacazette and the fans, like. There's a lot of affection there and the respect is mutual. Because he cares so much, doesn't he? You can see yeah. heart on his sleeve. He really does. And like there are several moments in the game during the Leicester game where he kind of acknowledged the fans or signalled to the fans for more support. And uh, I think he's really, although he's not getting the goals he would like, I think he's relishing being the main man in terms of playing every game up front, wearing the captain's armband. You know, because he was so close and such good pals with Pierre Aubameyang, I think in some respects maybe we kind of assumed, well, he was just fine with playing second fiddle and Aubameyang arriving six months later and effectively, you know, taking over his mantle as the top striker in the squad. But these players, you know, they all have egos. They all want to be loved. They all want to be important. And... uh I think Lacazette is, is feeling that way at the, at the present time and it's, it's bringing the best out of him in some respects. Um, do you think he can do three games in six days? Yeah, it's an interesting I, I, question that we're about to find I think out. He, I, think he, I, well, yeah, I think he's going to. Whether or not he'll do it well, I don't know. But I think, I think he's going to start every game. Do, do you think that? Yeah, I think he probably has to. Um mm. But it's going to be, you know, telling to see how things are going in the last half an hour of the Villa game, if if that's tight and we need the points. Yeah, coming up against Matip and uh, and Van Dijk uh, on Wednesday is going to be a real challenge for him. And whatever happens, he's going to come out of that pretty knackered. And then he's got to raise himself two and a half days later to play against Villa. But you can't play Eddie against Liverpool. You can't. The, we have to play the first team, don't we? If, if everyone's fit, they play again. We're essentially working with about 13 or 14 players at the moment. Hopefully he can. He'll certainly get he'll get stuff from the crowd on Wednesday, though, won't he? That's a, that's a big night. I'm very much looking forward to that. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, 
here on the Handbrake Off Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. With uh, brought to you by the Athletic, sorry, with James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Um, by the way, this is my day job. Uh, this podcast in the evening, I do uh, funny stuff for a living. And next Wednesday, the twenty third of March at London's Leicester Square Theatre, I'm doing a live version of my BT Sport football show. The football's on. Me and three other funny people talking about football. Come along and see us chat shit. I believe that is the expression. Twenty third of March <laughs> at London's Leicester Square uh, Theatre, and it's a good lineup as well, by the way. And I think you'd like it. Uh, one of the things. We'll definitely be talking about is what's happening in West London at Chelsea as they will no longer be known because I can't imagine them being sold to another Russian buyer. Um, this was after Roman Abramovich was sanctioned by the UK government. The club can no longer take fancy private jets or stay in six star hotels. Uh, the Megabus awaits for their next away trip. Um, there are plenty of jokes that people have been doing and we will do some at the show in a week and a half. Um, but we know why this is happening. Amy, we dodged a bullet here, didn't we, really? Because Alicia Usmanov was... Um, there was a lot of people who wanted him to take over. And I have to hold my hands up at this point and say I'm one. Because um, if the club is going to be run by a despot or by someone who's got their money in nefarious ways, well, this is the way the Premier League is. And, and we have to compete but we got away with it, with the lovely Cronkies <laughs> own our club at the moment. And and uh, thank heavens for that, eh? They must be pissing themselves. <laughs> One would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Stanley, Stanley, us? give us a wave. Stanley. <laughs> Why not? I it's going to happen. But we dodged a bullet, didn't we, really? Well, it's bizarre how things work. At the time when you were... Um, hoping that it would go that way rather than the way that it went. You know, this is these are sliding doors moments where you can't look into the future and see what might happen six, eight, ten years down the line. And it, it was a strange period for Arsenal. I really didn't enjoy that period when the Cronkies uh, uh, owned round about two-thirds of the club and Usmanov round about a third, and there was still uh, a few small shareholders around hanging on until that situation was ended by the complete takeover. Sadly. But it was a kind of paralysis that the club was in. And I thought that that was a very frustrating era because we're seeing now um, the evidence that if the Cronkies have a full uh, control, which they didn't when Usmanov had enough to have a blocking say, you know, that there is a capacity to run it in in a more progressive way. When they were uh, uh, involved in this kind of standoff where both of them wanted to buy each other out, the Cronkies wanted to buy Usmanov out and Usmanov wanted to buy the Cronkies out, there was years where there, where the club was was frozen in some ways. Stasis. They couldn't, yeah, right. they couldn't, you know, nobody was willing to go all in when they didn't have full control of the club. So... It does seem strange to think that, you know, I think Usmanov was the first to make an official bid for the Cronkies shares rather than the other way around. So had they said yes, Arsenal would be in a very different situation today. But as it turned out, not only did they say no, they counterbid and said, we're not selling to you, we'll buy you out. Yeah. 
And I think after the years of getting nowhere, Usmanov realised that it was never going to happen and took his situation to Everton, who are paying that price. They are. They are. Do you think we need, James, do you think we need a... This fit and proper test, I mean, people have had a go at it for years, but do we need some sort of fit and proper test for the fit and proper test? Because it's a joke, <laughs> isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was that story, wasn't there, a week or so ago about the Premier League thinking about introducing a, a human rights component to the fit and proper persons test, which oh. was kind of a case of uh, bolting the door after the horses bolted. Um, is that a right analogy? Uh, too many bolts. It was, just, it was one too many bolts, I think. It was closing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you know what I mean. General. Yeah, I think you could bolt the door after the horse has bolted. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anything, I'm building on it. But um, <laughs> I, uh, it's interesting, you know, talk about sliding doors moments. I mean, I think, obviously, Usmanov buying the club is certainly one. But I think for Arsenal and their modern history, I think Abramovich's arrival at Chelsea is in itself a, a huge sliding doors moment. You know, Arsenal made a a very significant strategic choice at great expense to build their stadium um, and attempt to kind of increase revenue that way. They knew it would mean a a period of enforced hardship, but felt it would enable them to compete with Manchester United in the longer term, who were kind of the, the giant at the time. And Chelsea just came in and blew that out of the water, essentially. Um, And so it's fascinating now uh, you know, what are we, nearly 20 years on, um, that they may be staring down the barrel of a similar situation to the one Arsenal faced then. I mean, they've got a stadium renovation project of their own, which will have costs of around a billion pounds. I think whatever owner they end up with, and I'm sure they will end up with a new owner in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be immensely challenging for them to achieve that. I'd be staggered if they're able to continue to exist making the kind of losses they did under Abramovich um but it was it, it was a strange strange sight yesterday Chelsea taking on Newcastle with all the the political climate that surrounds the owners of both clubs the despot and, derby as it was known apparently. yeah indeed and and I I I completely understand that it's the war that has prompted uh these sanctions on Abramovich and I respect that and understand why. But I sort of hope, actually, that uh, it goes beyond that and that this is the catalyst for a kind of broader review of ownership in the Premier League. You know, Tracy Crouch did her uh, government uh, review and made a lot of suggestions. There's not been any great indications yet that those will be implemented. I mean, of course, Abramovich is a special case because of the ties to Putin, but... This is a bigger problem than him and a bigger problem than Chelsea. I'm not optimistic of it being truly, properly, widely addressed, but that is what I would like. No, and especially considering that two months ago, a Saudi Arabian consortium bought Newcastle. Uh, Arsenal, there was a there was a round of applause and, and all the players stood in front of a U- Ukraine flag yesterday. Also on the back of the programme, uh, Arsenal included Oleg Luzhny uh, in the team sheet under number 22, an ex-player of ours uh, who came from, was it Dynamo Kiev, wasn't it? And um, and is currently back in the Ukraine at the moment. So you wanted to say something? Yeah, and there was a little piece inside the programme, actually, um explaining about why they sort of uh, dedicated they were, you know the, that involvement to 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 Oleg and it, actually it sort of really stopped me in my tracks while I was reading it um 
in the program, there's a, a picture of, uh, of Oleg on a very happy date at Highbury in 2002, lifting up the trophy. And it says, our thoughts are with our former defender Oleg Luzhny, a double winner with us in 2001-02, when he became the first Ukrainian player to win a major trophy in England. A bit more. And then it says this. We have been in touch with Oleg, who has put his coaching career on hold, opting to join Ukraine's Territorial Defence Force to try to protect his country. And at the time of writing, Oleg and his family remain safe and hope and pray this can remain the case. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, it's a grim uh, situation. Um, I guess there'll be more discussions about this on other athletic uh, podcasts as well. So maybe we'll leave that for them uh, a little bit. But we certainly wish Oleg Luzhny and, and everyone uh, in the in Ukraine uh, all the best and stay safe. Um, let's have a song to end. Um, I think I've done enough uh, musical interludes for today. So I'm going to leave this to you because I was looking for a song for... Uh, um, Martin Erdegaard, something about in control or gliding about or something like that, but it was nothing particularly uh, came to mind. Um, uh, yeah, Amy is just typing Pharrell Williams happy, which is actually not a bad... No, I'm not. No, not Amy, sorry. Abby is typing. <laughs> Our producer is typing... <laughs> Amy very, Amy very offended by she that. Was uh, bit, she was a little bit. She was a little bit, actually. Uh, Abby is typing Happy by Pharrell Williams, which is a, a decent choice. I'll take that one then, Abby. Uh, Amy, what have you got? I'm going to go for um, a great Strictly Rhythm track from Days Gone By called Love and Happiness by River Ocean. I was going to go REM, shiny happy people, but I think I'll go with the. Uh... Well, save that, save that. We'll do that next week after we beat Liverpool and Villa. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll need that. Then. <laughs> what have you got, James? Uh, I went for "Here Comes the Sun" actually because the sun woke me up this morning, probably for the first time this year, coming through my window, which was lovely. And uh, it feels a bit like the sun is coming out over Arsenal too. So yeah, I went for that. Yeah, lovely. Uh, all right, uh, that's it. That's the um, Handbrake Off podcast brought, brought to you by uh, The Athletic. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to James. And thanks to Abby, our producer. And uh, we'll be back, or I'll be back with um, Adrian and Art on Thursday after Liverpool game. Have a good few days. Okay.